And what we are working with or working in is the karma vipaka, the <coughs> impulse to, to cause, to act to, in terms of thinking or acting physically or emotional or emotive wishes, urges, it's kind of triggering qualities, which is the karma impulses, which is telling us what we should aim for, do, what we need, what we could become, what we could have, what we could get rid of, what we could get away from, that kind of well, feeling or wobbling, trembling of the chitta. And then there's also the residual sense of what I am, what I sense myself as being. This is the vipaka, the residue. Uh, how I sense myself as being right right now. Could be barely okay, sort of okay, bit okay, not okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, so this is, this can be a a sense that has is an overall sense. It may have specific come up with specific um, reasons or locations that I'm not okay because um, he said this or he didn't say that. Or I did this or I didn't do enough of that or. This is like this, and it's not like that. This is why I'm not okay. Um, so that that process can go on. Recognizing the sense of not okay, the residue is a is a whole sense. It's uh, something that acts like like a cloud that covers the heart. Because the, in terms of mental karma, mental residues, these are, the mind is really boundless, so uh, it operates through particular qualities of perception, which give a, a tone to the whole mind. So unlike the, the body, which can localize uh, a pain or something and um, the perceptual realm is one whereby a particular memory or sound or sight or something acquires a meaning and that meaning is then whole, held over the whole mind this means something so you know, one can where I am for the past couple of years, even when I say that past couple of years, that's a meaning isn't it um, there's always building work going around my cooties. So there's always the sound of stone saws and tile saws and people banging, crashing and so forth going on. Um, and so to work with that, just the, the sound itself is a sound, doing what sounds are supposed to do. Sounds make sound. They have no malice in them, they have no aim or project, they just do that, it's their nature. Um, and yet the sound can be interpreted as uh, improper, 
um, shouldn't be happening, um, invasive, intrusive, agitating, and so forth. So and then that, that can cover the whole heart. So what is a sound becomes a meaning, the meaning becomes a feeling, feeling of suffering or dolmanasa, um, like a got at or depressed state. So, but then if one can, so the, the fresh calm is get me out of here. The fresh calming impulse is get out of here, go somewhere else, do something which, which possibly one could do. But I personally tend to be really wary of karma, fresh karma, uh, because the whole um, agitation of the mind of seeking and wanting and not wanting uh, I find is, is quite uh, disturbing and to follow that. So to just work with the, the perception is it? Just listening to the sound actually the sound is not aimed at me they aren't sitting outside my window playing you know, tapes of piping it in through the window to in order to do something to it. it just happens to be the rabbits hear it, everybody around hears it so it's not aimed at me it's not my sound um, there's no malice in it, there's no harm in it there's no hurt in it it doesn't actually do anything it just arises in the ears and passes away it doesn't actually do any damage I mean if it was 140 decibels it might be but it's not harmful, it's not malicious, it's not harmful. So then just working on it, so going back to the sound, listening to the sound, uh, making the sound a meditation object. So then become something that's just really neutral, just the sound. And the mind can leave it alone. The mind doesn't have to erect a wall to defend itself against the sound or jump over and start fighting with the sound. It's just the sound. So just actually focus on that particular dhamma, the hearing thing arising, and how the mind focuses on hearing, the attention forms it up, it interprets it, which means it's a stone saw, it's some person out there is operating a stone so that's the, that's the meaning that comes out of it and it's a person they should be able to do something else if it was a waterfall probably again it wouldn't be anything I'd make anything out of because a waterfall has no choice it just does it it's a person doing something if I can get that meaning going then I can think why don't they do it somewhere else why don't they do it another time don't they realise I'm meditating they should be more considerate where if it was a, a you know a, a, an inanimate object, you just think, oh, no. the airplane going overhead, or um, so, you know, the, the, it's the, it's in the meaning that the mental feeling comes up from the meaning of that. So when we work on the vipaka, we begin to go back to the uh, what's what's happening to us and the sense of 
dominasa, depression, limitation, loss, not able, whatever it is. And what actually is happening here? There's a thought that I don't want. There's an energy that I don't like. There's a sensation that is not pleasing to me. Can I focus on that and rather be uh, overwhelmed with it? Of course, these meanings change, don't they? We all know what it's like when you're playing music in your own, you're, you're listening to music and how enjoyable it is. If somebody else is listening to the music upstairs at two o'clock in the morning and it's coming through the, the, the ceiling at you, it's no longer enjoyable. So, you know, it's not, it's the whole context changes, doesn't it? So actually realizing that and if we if we if that we parka remains the same, if it's lodged there, it stays there, then it always sets up the ground for fresh karma based upon a sense of irritation or I'm not getting what I need, or people aren't nice to me, or whatever. So then this sets up this uh, fresh karma. Even if that karma is not acted upon as as an action, it's acted upon as a mood. I feel fed up, I feel depressed, I feel angry, I feel irritated, I feel sad. So you get this karmic result of karma in the mind, karma in the heart. And as that stays there, then likelihood is sooner or later one acts upon that, says something, does something in order to make that thing change. <clears throat> Noticing the other few months ago I was at Spirit Rock in California, it was a big meeting of teachers, uh, lots of people, so 50 or 60 people. I had a teaching retreat before that, 60 people. And so at the end of the retreat, many people said, oh, it's uh, very nice, wonderful, it's great, thank you very much. And the next person, oh, it's great, lovely. And then, then, oh, can I offer you some tea? Thank you. And so a lot of, you know, stuff coming in, all positive nature. And then you had the, oh. so then the teachers meeting, and then people, oh, it's really great having monks around. So a lot of this, 60 odd people. So I was in you think, oh, it's, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Not really quite like that, but just, oh, it'd be nice. You know, if it weren't so, because it's just, you know, it was no longer, it was meant well, one could understand the intention well, just like, well, just turn it down. Then you go back to Bayagiri, drive up there, and then go into the monastery and pay respects, and it's completely quiet. There's four or five monks there. How are you? And then that's it. Quiet here, quiet. What's been happening out here? Hmm. Nothing much. Quiet. 
Well, last week was a quiet week. <laughs> <laughs> today, mm, pretty quiet today. <laughs> yeah, so I was very. I think, oh, this feels very nice. <laughs> you know, and yet one, you know, one can find that seemingly quite unfriendly. Could seem quite unfriendly. Mm. And the other was natural, you know. But actually, in both cases, they're equally friendly. You know, I was being friendly by, you know, offering. Um, stuff, if you like, sound, uh, thoughts, ideas, exclamations, that was a friendly gesture. I was being friendly by offering silence and space and just there's nothing you have to do, just relax, you know, quiet, peaceful, offering friendship in that way. And just, you know, you're, to see how your own mind can interpret those those things, sometimes monasteries seem unfriendly because people don't, maybe don't say very much. Is it really unfriendly or is that just one's own, where one's own perception is, is large, like friendship means a certain series of things happening? Mm. Or not? So we kind of have a way of, or medit- then we come to meditation. What does meditation mean? You know, some something's happening, something's not happening. Uh, you know, but meditation is good meditation when da 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 happens. I get this. Um, so we we start off with a certain percep- perception of meditation equals quiet equals. You know, things happening in a very steady way. Uh, and then if it's not happening like that, then we can feel depressed or unhappy or upset. Mm. So, <clears throat> although, you know, one would say there's a lot of truth in that meditation is about tranquility and clarity and calm, but often the, the point is that we, don't, we can't start from that place. We're going to start from the rough, the awkward, the jungle of the heart and just being able to really open up and meditate on the jungle of the heart without going into oh my mind oh I can't my mind's a mess this is oh I'm terrible no no this isn't it and I can't do that because then you know it's uh, if we set up that perception of meditation as something we have to start with then it's very difficult to start meditating at all I was talking to somebody in the States, you know, his teacher was very strong on teaching, teaching jhana, and this guy had once given up on meditation, because if, this, if you have the idea that meditation is only worthwhile when you have first or second jhana at least, which, you know, there's a certain way of understanding it like that, that's when it becomes meaningful. But if you set that up as a perception that, that this is what meditation is, then it's very difficult to start. You know, you've got to start with hindrances, defilements, past karma, confusion, getting it right, getting it wrong, 
and be able to kind of be mindful and attentive to that. We have to start with all kinds of regrets and doubts and afflictions and hurts and, and pains and inadequacies and compulsions and be mindful of those. Mm. And particularly as the net result of those is to generate this particular self-view. You know, I, I am an inadequate person or I am a failure or I am somebody inherently lacking in something or either that self-view or Buddhism is, is you know, too difficult or meditation is impossible or monasteries are unfriendly or this kind of thing going on. So rather than that we come to the sense of grief or confusion or regret or doubt as it's happening and, and meditate on it, contemplate it, handle it. This is the fourth foundation of mindfulness, or the third and fourth. The third is just feeling the effect of the, in the heart, the contraction, the trembling, the constriction, the, the whatever that sense is of that. Oh, it's like that. You know. um, and being able to say, recognize the dhammas that arise from that, oh, this is, this is uh, ill will, or this is, this is agitation, this is doubt, this is worry, this is craving, this is ambition, and so on. Mm. So the clearing off of residues, the, the settings that we call ourself, is runs in tandem with the generation of of new karma. So, as I was saying, whenever we generate one wholesome impulse to just to be mindful, even when you just generate one wholesome impulse to be mindful, which is perhaps the supreme good karma, to just be to be mindful rather than do anything else, just to actually hold one's attention there and contemplate it, even to generate that impulse, that is powerful, good karma. Um, and karma is such, because it's, it's a continually changing thing, we tend to, from the experience of vipaka, of results, of residues, tends to give rise to the feeling of stuck, I am this, all karma lays down these intense heavy residues where you, you become this for lifetimes, you know. And that, that idea comes into mind because of the quality of what Vipaka feels like. It does feel like a setting, an established norm that's unchangeable. This is Vipaka. It feels like that. That's the feeling of it. Don't get confused by the feeling of it. You know. Don't get don't buy into the to the to the mood of it, the mood of Dolmanasa that it arises, it's just the mood. You know, in one moment you can be free of it, of that mood, just if you know the mood as a mood, as a dhamma that arises in the mind, then the act of mindfulness and full, com- and full awareness stands apart from that. This is the mood, let it be what it has to be. Moods feel like this. Hammers sound like this. Bells ring like this. Moods feel like this. 
you know, that, that's it. It's not a person, it's not something that with nature is fixed. The fixing comes from the view, the ditti, which, which is an attitudinal thing. The mind has the ability to lock things into a view. Um, and the view becomes the conceit. This is the process of papancha. Uh, something that's seen, comprehended, held, oh, there's that, there's the object. Um, we get a view, this is happening to me, is the view. Um, and then I am this, is the conceit, the deriving of an, of an entity, who is this. That's the process that locks things that are actually momentary and flowing, you know, irritating, enjoyable, distressful, heartbreaking, you know, whatever they are. That the process that locks them into I am, you know, a dumped on being, I am a um, you know, angry person or whatever. That's the conceit. So it's the conceit that locks the resultant calm into a permanent entity called myself. And based upon that, I am this, well, because I am this, well, I'll do that. Or because I am this, I need some of that. Or because I am this, um, this, and so forth. So then the fresh karma comes out. Based upon that, that, that fundamental residue, it hasn't actually, you know, t- cleaned out the residue. This is how the samsara works. Vipaka, karma, vipaka, karma. You believe the message of vipaka, and then you go out, you know, um, seeking to feed it. Yeah? It's like somebody told you you're married, so you believe you're married, so you go out and, and get some, go out and buy shoes for the kids. You haven't got any kids. But. <laughs> Because you believe you're married and you're told you're married, everybody says you're married, you think it's your duty to go out and buy shoes for the kids. You come back home and there aren't any kids. So you wonder why they're not grateful. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't got any kids. Why are my kids not grateful? (laughs) But you haven't got any. Well, yes, I have. Surely I must have. Because there's this feeling of carrying lots of things. Those are your kids. You're carrying lots of things, so you've got to do lots of things in order to win enough things so you can make them be quiet. Those are your we Parker offspring in there. <laughs> and if you ever managed to finally find the toys they wanted, they'd be quiet forever. But they won't because you haven't got any kids. <laughs> That's what it feels like, isn't it? Something in the back of the mind going, Daddy, Daddy, Mummy, Mummy, feed me, feed me, make me happy. <laughs> I'll be quiet if, I'll be quiet if. So if you run around, this, I'll do it that, I'll go here, I'll go there, I'll, you know, so on. Cleaning the residues. One of the 
In the Sanyuta Nikaya, there's the one of the books uh, called the Head Headman, and there's this one sutta called the the sutta of the conch blower, someone blowing a conch, which is a kind of trumpet. Uh, it refers to blowing a trumpet in all different directions and spreading out uh, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. That's that's the metaphor. And in this sutta, the Buddha is asked um, or given the, the premise of understanding karma. Uh, and the person says, well, as I understand it, karma means that as you act, so you reap the deeds. Just as you act, so you reap the deeds. This is the understanding of karma. It, you know, he, he believes he's saying the right thing. The Buddha says, no, no, that's not so. It's not, that's not the case. As you act, so you reap the deeds, so you reap, so you reap the results. And he gives the example of a murderer who goes out and kills people. And he says, if, you, if every action you did gave an equal result, and consider the amount of times you this even a bloody-headed murderer murders people, he probably does a lot, spends a lot more time not murdering people than he spends time murdering people. So in that case, he's actually a vast field of merit. <laughs> you know, that, that if you top it all up, his amount of non-murdering hours amounts to a lot more than his murdering hours. So if you get, if, if you get results in proportion to what you do, then surely this person would, not, would be reborn in a pleasant abiding rather than hell. But he said the problem is, of course, that when you commit these deeds, you, your mind locks on it and you remember it, and it stays there. So even though you only did one unskillful deed, you only said one unkind remark, or you, it stays there all day. Or maybe it comes back every day, you remember it. And years later, you still remember it. It's still there. That's, that's the vipaka. And as all of us have sometime or another, you know, said things we weren't, we look back on with some regret, or done things we look back on with some regret, or not done things we wish we had done, not said the loving, kind, generous, happy thing we wish we had said, not done the noble deed we wish we had done now, not, you know, befriended, not honoured, not respected, not loved, not cared for, not corrected, not soothed, not healed, where we, we felt we could have done or wish we had done. There is this regretful tone. Um, so the Buddha says you, you can clean, clean that by reflecting on any, any unskillful deed you've done, or you feel you've done, you assume you've done, and then, okay, I won't do that anymore. That was wrong, I won't do that. And then you practice the, with the Brahma Vihara, which is a way of pushing out the dent in the mind, or, or taking the bruise away, or healing the wound. Practicing the Brahma Vihara around that wounded, grieved, depressed feeling. And so this is, this is how you do it. This is the process. 
And I think that's really very, very interesting. When you look at it, you know, in, in, that, in that simple skeletal way, I think for many people, we don't actually have a memory of, of a wrong deed. But there's a, or it can be something of just what's been done or not done to us. We may have had all sorts of unpleasant things done to us, so the memories of that or the sense of that is still there, the, the mistrust of others or the fearfulness of others because others have let me down or others always taken advantage of me, so I feel um, abused in that way, or I've always had to struggle very hard to get some any sense of attention or kindness from other people, so I'm in that particular mode, whereas I always have to, you know, I've got to do everything all the time just to get, you know, get my keep my head above water. Um, so there can be these unpleasant senses, perceptions or felt senses in the mind that act as our basic life pattern or things that have not been done you know or it hasn't been received enough or a good amount of acceptance or welcome or whatever it is, the things that people find makes them feel completed so there could be that there and this is say Vipaka is not just what you've done but also the residues of what's been the context you've been in or what's been done to you because the, the um, what's happened in either case is a particular sense of self a perception of self has been has been uh, placed and established there this is what I am and that acts as the basis for fresh karma that's the vipaka, that's the inheritance so it, it's not just what we've done, it's also what we've not done, or, and also what we've been told we are, or felt we are, is also we parker. It can come up in, in situations, we may find that group situations trigger off a particular we parker, what it's like to feel you're in a group, at the end of the line, at the back of the class, you're the one who doesn't get noticed or whatever it is that suddenly comes up. You look around, you think, I'm okay with him, I'm okay with her, she's fine, she's okay. Why do I feel so odd, you know? Because the kind of sanya perception of the group makes you feel overwhelmed or pushed out or not noticed or inadequate. Because <coughs> of past karma. <coughs> so, whatever it is, it's to... First of all, I suppose we need to recognize the sanya, the mood, the perception, and then begin to see, well, right now, you know, is that something that actually, you know, is that internal or external? Is it something that's happening around me? Is there harmful intention? Is there unkind thought? Is it so people are not, you know, treating me equally or whatever, you know? then we go to the to the, the felt meaning of that of what's happening to us and it's not to say we shouldn't feel that or to you know because that confuses the, the whole process but just to go to that felt meaning which can be angry or sad or frightened or 
embarrassed or whatever it is. The things that happen that happen to us that come there, inadequate, you know, unwanted. And this is where you practice the Brahma Vihara. I mean, if your if your mindfulness is strong, just to be able to know that that feeling and perception as a feeling and perception, the mind state as a as a mind state. Um, but boosting it with this um, reverse perception is helpful to counterbalance the the push and the the uh, compulsion, the compulsive impulse of of what the vipaka sets up. Metta is the non-harming. If we sit, stand or breathe, really bringing up the, the, the sense, nothing is harming, nothing is badly aimed towards me. What does that mean? Do I have that, that sense that nothing harms me? And so, so Karuna is very similar to that. It starts in a way in the same place, but Karuna is, is much more um, to do with um, feeling sense of being um, recognized. So compassion is, is an empathetic sense. Metta is to do with feeling actual positive nourishment. And karuna is to do with feeling screened or sheltered from negative influences. So one is, is a, more like something that fills you up. And some, the other one is something that protects you from, or, from what's what's hurtful or harmful, doesn't, doesn't harm. So we first of all need to just bring up those senses. What's it like to feel um, nourished or well-being? Uh, what this body, body itself does, the warmth of the body, making us feel okay, the breathing in, breathing out, um, in, in this situation, being given alms food, lodgings, uh, clothes, medicines, you know, whatever's the requisites, they're just being given. They're not being given like, sort of, oh, wonderful, because it's your birthday here. No, they're just being given standard. So because there's no special thing about it, we can not we can feel kind of blank, because if you go to the storm and say, stick a note on the door, Storesman comes up and says, oh, here is your toothpaste clonk. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of meta in that. <laughs> you know, and of course, this, you know, the storesman doesn't feel he's going to kind of wrap everybody's toothpaste up and, you know, this is just for you. <laughs> just here's your toothpaste, that's meta enough. <laughs> so, but I, if you went to a shop, and you're about to buy the toothpaste, and the, and the cashier said, oh, look, here, have the toothpaste for free. 
you probably think, oh, wonderful, you know, he's a nice thought, a kind person. <laughs> when a stormman does it here, you think, oh, he's a bit of a bad <coughs> But actually looking at the sense, just recognizing, you know, that one, one is given these things, a sense of, and really taking into account the, the, that feeling of the benevolence of lay people who come. I mean, it all comes from men originally, some we don't talk to or don't really know very much, or they just come in, put some things down, do some chanting, and then leave, you know, don't necessarily even get the language, and yet, you know, that's that's metta. You know, a sense, you have to pick it up yourself, because, you know, physically what they've done is just one thing, put the stuff on the floor and leave. But to pick up the felt meaning of that, means you attend to it, Consider, without this, I wouldn't have it. They didn't have to give it. Nobody told them to give it. They don't get anything in return on an immediate level. That's a real, you know, something happening there. And you can, obviously it's an intellectual process, but try, try to linger on the, that, the, the meaning of that until you get the sense of that. These are real, independent human beings who have a choice to do one thing or another, and they have chosen to do this. And they want to, to it to make us feel clean, happy, healthy. You know, instead of lingering there. So even with the builders, you know, I can contemplate the sounds and think, Actually, they're not doing it to annoy them. They're doing it, the idea is to make the, a nice covered walkway, a nice dumber hall, so that we can sit in the dry and meditate. So rather than being an attack on my privacy, it's actually, oh, it means, you know, a lot of energy is being put into making something uh, enjoyable. So where, however we manage to generate that, that particular sense of being in a, in a warm and um, caring situation, then to, to, in a way, just keep holding that, that sense of it. Here one is also protected by the precepts and, um, you know, from, from harm. And he's protected physically by this society, but also protected by the precepts um, that we undertake and trained in. And feeling, you know, they're not particularly sweet, loving sounds, are they? Sometimes when you look in the, the scriptures, the Buddha can come across as either quite cool or sometimes pretty um, irascible. But saying that Tathagata teaches, trains, reprimands, admonishes, uh, urges out of compassion, and you realize, you know, when you're dragging somebody out of fire, you have to, dragging them out isn't necessarily a a sweet process. Uh, When you're building a dam wall against the flood, dams don't necessarily look that good. Uh, but the whole intention of it is to protect you. 
of getting hurt and getting confused and struggling in this. So that you have to distill the meaning um, out of these these forms and trainings. And a, a, a collect collect the attention around that. sense of mudita, sharing, realizing the, the goodness that's being generated around you, and also that one's own presence, just, just sitting, standing, keep, even keeping the training, all that, there's a sense in which that um, is for the welfare of others. And in, so we are in a kind of sharing field, whereby the, the, the group support and the mutual support, the lay people, the summoners, the anagarikas, the nuns, the bhikkhus, and so forth, and whatever we feel personally about each other, you know, on a personality level, there is a sense of, of sharing each other's virtues, each other's willingness, each other's diligence, each other's, even each other's sorrows. You know. And there can be a real feeling of of uplift just in being part of something that's shared. And some of this, you know, it, we, a lot of that time it's quite silent. But you have to get to the meaning of it. Who cooks the food? And why do people come here? They come here because of you. You're inspired because of you. Not you as Vipaka, <laughs> but you as karma, you as your intentionality. So it helps us to, you know, realize that, that, that there is, is value and meaning in our presence and our ability to do what is very difficult to do. To place attention be mindful to keep that quality of establishing good karma upon uh, with this still un- unresolved vipaka of feeling some senses of inadequacy and bad patches and so on that that quality is is the act of faith that's and mindfulness and that's what's so worthy of respect if we were all perfectly enlightened beings, there'd be no particular effort involved, would there, to, to practice. But because we're, we're wounded or afflicted or tethered, then in a way the generation of good karma is, is much more something we recognize coming from, from faith and diligence and struggle. And that's worthy of that. And just acknowledging the goodness and the, the beauty of the field that we share. It makes it a lot easier to uh, to handle one's own residues when you realize that this is just the 
the whole group experiences this, the human experiences this. Upeka is to comes when we begin to understand more fully karma is just karma, vipaka is just vipaka. Vipaka is just that sense. And you don't have to even clear it all completely. Main clearing is just to know it as it is. It's that. So we recognize that for even in case of arahants, they still have residues, vasana, which are traces of vipaka. It's still there, but they don't make anything of it. It doesn't affect them. It's just something that they live with, like the shape of the body, or the shape of the face, or the degree of health that the body has. It's just that. And so the very quality of the vipaka in the mind is just the, the, the contours of it, the peculiarities of it, the roughness of it, or whatever it is, it's just, it's just that. It's just a tone. It's just a feeling. It's just the chitta shape. It doesn't, it's not something that acts as the seeds for to generate new karma. So if you feel, that, so the basic bottom line of clearing residues is to, is to understand residues as residue. Uh, so we can recognize, you know, the arahants in the scriptures all look pretty clean. But um, occasional little stories of some of them seeming to be slightly more grumpy or irritable or have peculiarities, and people get confused by that. You know, was Mahakasava, was he grumpy? <laughs> How can an arahant be grumpy? Um, <laughs> you know, was Sariputta jumping over puddles was he a bit giddy. You know, Sariputta, the great marshal of the dawn, was he a bit uh, sort of uh, flippant or whatever. Um, so they just have they just have traces of things, just like that. And uh, we recognise that people who have are highly reputed nowadays you know, certainly seem to have personality traits like people consider Rajan Mahabur to be an arahant or something like that. And but his traces, his residues are quite, also quite renowned. <laughs> it's not for me to make a statement one way or another, but you know, you, you try to find somebody who has no residue. Well, Ajahn Charles residues. He had quite a lot of anger um, and uh, it's you know, quite a, a a uh, very different kind of person, definitely a recognizable personality, not a void screen. Um, and so on. So, you know, you do see these these beings definitely have traces. You know, so it, it helps you to bear in mind. Uh, and I think Ajahn Chah's famous statement was, if you're looking for somebody with no traces, it's looking like looking for a turtle with a moustache. Buddhas don't have traces, you know, but they're, they're the only ones. But how much you act upon that, how much you believe it, that's, that's the crucial bit.
actually recognize this is the vipaka of, you know, of being rather tight, jumpy, um, or, or sad, or slightly nervous, apprehensive. Don't pander to it. Don't, you know, don't keep buying its shoes. Um, don't, don't pander to it. Don't ignore it either. Don't dismiss it. Keep the mindfulness around that. And just check in the present moment situation, is there anything there? You know, is it coming from outside? Just the mood of the heart. If it's in the mood of the heart, you know, just really feeling mood and feeling as that. Can we establish a base for that? The Brahma Vihara, the foundations of mindfulness, the firmness of the body, the breathing, the sitting, the standing. So we're able to get a perspective on that. And the more we come to the, the simplicity and the beauty of these very simple forms of practice, they're not, e- they're not difficult to understand, simple forms of practice, then we're able to, to stand apart from the vipaka so it doesn't generate more. And whatever residue is there has no seeds in it. It it's, uh, has no further cause for life.